Romans 8, 15 through 17. I'm reading from the ESV. If it looks a little different than your version, that's why. Okay, Romans 8, chapter 8, excuse me, verse 15. It says this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if or since children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Father, thank you for this gem, this little nugget tucked into Romans 8, Lord, that we could spend weeks and weeks on just contemplating. And, and so, Lord, I pray you just give us a few things, Lord, to just tuck away into our heart today that you'd speak directly to us, Lord. As fathers, as children, Lord, we want to just know what this means, not just in our head, but in our heart. So have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. It's already been said, you know, Pastor Steve has said it a couple of times already this morning. You know, we're here, Father's Day, we want to honor dads, and we do. I, I love that we stood up and got prayed for, and that's proper and good and right, but not to sound cliché. Uh, not to sound, you know, a little Christianese or whatever, but, but really what we want to do this morning is honor our Heavenly Father. Amen? Honor our Heavenly Father. Guys, one of the things that is the most blind-mowing, blind mind-blowing, I was mowing my lawn in my brain there for a minute, mind-blowing truths that we get to claim as Christians is this. We are the children of of God. Now we say it so much and we hear it so often that just hearing it like that kind of bounces off a little bit, but this is what we want to do this morning. I want to take this time that we have to just contemplate, kick around, marinate, think on this truth. We are the children of God. And what does that mean? You know, sometimes you hear the saying, you may have even said it, it goes something like this. And it has context on both ends, but you'll hear this. You'll hear, you'll hear something like, well, we're all God's children. How many of you guys have ever heard that? We're all God's children. And when I hear that, I, I agree with that. I say yes, but I, I say yes with a little bit of an asterisk. Do you know what I mean by that? Because it's true, but it's not true. It's usually said in the context of something like, hey, we have this universal brotherhood of mankind and if that's kind of what you're going for, cool. I can agree with that statement. But the reality is, listen, and this is huge, massively important. We are not all necessarily the children of God. We are in the sense of creation. So as far as creation goes, yes. Every person has been created by God. We have equal value in his eyes. We all bleed red. It doesn't matter what color you are, what social status, whatever. We're just human. On that level, I say, yeah, we're all God's children in that respect. But listen, that may be true of creation, but it's not true of relation. In other words, not every person on the earth can say they are 
the child of God, meaning they have a father-son, father-daughter relationship with God. Does that make sense? Is that clear? It's not necessarily true. In fact, the Bible says, Ephesians 2 verse 3 says this, that until we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're actually children of wrath. That means God's wrath is on us, and we are destined not to be with him forever, but destined to be separated from him forever. And just right out of the gates, guys, what I want to establish is this is precisely why Jesus came. Amen? This is why God so loved the world he gave his son. Why? That Jesus, God the Son, would stand in our place on the cross, die for our failures, die for our sins, raise from the dead, and purchase us back, redeem us back, and reconcile us to the Father. Amen? So guys, we are, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are a son of God. Let me give you a couple of verses just to kind of rock solid the point. This is Galatians 3 verse 26 says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God by faith. The classic verse in John chapter 1, he says, all who did receive him and who believed in his name, he gave the right or the authority to become the children of God. We are the children of God who have put our faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So what I want to do this morning, that's it, we're, we're done, let's pray. I'm just kidding. Um, what I want to do this morning, in light of that truth, is kick around and talk about a doctrine that is an amazing doctrine, but an overlooked doctrine. Don't get freaked out by the word doctrine, by the way. It just means teaching. And so maybe it's a little theologically heavy on the, on the front end here, but it's going to translate into some wonderful, wonderful practical truth. So it's good for us to kind of, kind of bear down and think these things through. But I want to talk about this wonderful, wonderful doctrine of adoption. I read it in the text. We haven't been given a spirit of slavery unto fear, but we have been given the spirit of what? Adoption. What does that mean? We want to kick that around. So let me start by saying this. When you became a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, a lot of things happened the moment you gave your life to Jesus. The moment you received, as John 1 says, and believed and became a quote-unquote Christian, a lot of things took place, unbeknownst to you, uh, simultaneously, theologically speaking. In other words, the first, one of the things that took place is this. You might jot it down. Something called regeneration. Again, another doctrinal term. Don't let it throw you, but you should know this stuff. As Christians, we've got to learn these things, these terms. Regeneration. That's the idea of being born again. Jesus said uh, you have to be born of the flesh, but you have to be born of what? The Spirit. That's the idea of being born again. Regeneration speaks of the fact that when we put our faith in God, in Jesus Christ, we were given a new nature. Regeneration speaks of being given a new nature. Something else that awesome happened at that moment of salvation called justification. Justification. That's, that's a little more complex, a wonderful doctrine. Basically, it's this judicial legal term that describes a moment in time when God, if you would, slams the gavel down and declares you and I, based on our faith in Jesus, that we are not only forgiven, but that we have righteous standing before him. Amen? 
We're declared righteous. Justification is more than being forgiven of your sins. It speaks of being imputed or credited with the very righteous life of Jesus himself. It would sound like it's blasphemy if it wasn't true. When the Father looks at you and he looks at me, once I've put my faith in Jesus, he sees me as righteous as Jesus himself. Can I get a witness? Amen. That's amazing. So we were born again, regeneration. We've been justified. And a great way to remember that, the old classic thing is, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's how the Lord looks at you. That's how the Lord looks at me. White as snow, not just forgiven with a clean slate, but actually righteous as Jesus. But something else happened. Simultaneously, in this world of theology and doctrine and breaking down all these little nuances, something else happened, and it's called adoption. Oh, it includes regeneration, born again, new nature. It includes justification, giving a new position. But it's distinct from both of those. You see, adoption, listen, speaks of being brought in to the family of God. Now just let that sit for a second. Let me kind of give you an illustration or just kind of break it down this way. What, what does adoption mean? Well, when Paul wrote this, the Apostle Paul wrote Romans, and when he wrote this, and when he used the word adoption, it would have conjured up something completely different in their minds than it does in our minds. I don't know about you. you we talk about adoption. I automatically think of my son, JJ, who we adopted uh, last September, uh, September 15th, 2017, actually. And I think about that. You know, we, take, we think about bringing in a little baby into our family for whatever reason, and there's a hundred reasons you could give. That is not how the Romans looked at adoption. It was way less uh, wonderful and way less family-oriented. Adoption to the Romans had to do with adopting a full-grown male for the purpose of passing down the family name and ensuring that the inheritance moved along the line. Does that make sense? Let's just say you were a Roman family, you didn't have a boy. You could adopt a young man. He had to be old enough to agree to the adoption. And the purpose was is you would bring him legally into your family for the purpose of giving him the family name so the family name would perpetuate and the inheritance would go to him and he'd be able to pass it on down the line. Does that make sense to some degree? That's, the, that's way less cool than our idea of adoption. First of all, it's weird adopting a grown-up man. But that's exactly what they would have thought of when Paul used that word, adoption. Now, let me give you, and I, I told you, I warned you, it's a little doctrine-heavy at the beginning, but bear with me here. What does that mean for us, though? Not in Roman terms, but in biblical terms. How in the world does this apply to us? Listen to this definition I stumbled upon. It's a great one. It kind of sums it up. There'll be a test at the end, so listen. Biblical understanding of adoption is this. It's the judicial act of God by which a believer in Jesus becomes a member of God's family, listen, with all the privileges and obligations of being a family member. Let me read that again. It is the judicial act of God by which a believer in Christ becomes a member of God's family with all the privileges and obligations of a family member. I know that's a lot. But think about it in these terms. Remember when we talked about justification? It was a one-time legal thing. It's not a process. It's something God declares to be true. 
Same thing with adoption. The moment you put your faith in Christ, the moment I put my faith in Jesus, God declared judicially, officially, legally, that we are now a part of God's family. Amen? And because of that, listen, we have been blessed with all the blessings and privileges and responsibilities of being a part of a family. We're automatically in. Guys, just like the Romans, they didn't adopt little babies. They adopt full-grown or at least mature men. Listen, we are brought into the family, not as a process, immediately with all the rights and privileges of an adult in the family. Amen? That makes sense? A little bit. We'll keep going if it doesn't, so hang in there with me. But guys, all that to say, let me put it in different terms. This is awesome. This is awesome. We are declared by God to be children of God. Now, here's the great thing, by the way, from the Roman example, is that I'm so glad it's not just the guys, and I'm so glad it's not just people with good character, because the reality is he adopted people with horrible character, and that are not necessarily men, but are women too. Amen? He brought us all in. So guys, we are the children of God. So that's maybe a definition to maybe work with. Let that sit. Let that marinate in your brain a little bit. But now I want to talk about this. This is where it gets good. What in the world does that mean for you and me today? Okay, so technically speaking, it's not being born again and Technically speaking, it's not justification. It's its own separate thing. I get that, Jason. Uh, okay, it's where God declares us to be part of the family. We are therefore automatically in and all of that. What does that mean for us on the day-to-day? Let me give you a list of 72 things. I'm just kidding. Like one, two, three, four, five with a couple subpoints. But let me just say this, there's no way we could exhaust all of the wonderful implications of what it means to be a child of God in one service. But I want to pull out a few things just to blow your mind, just to let us sit on them, just to cause us to marvel and walk in and just have a new spring in our step as the children of God. Okay, number one, this is good. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. Number one, first implication of what it might mean to be declared a child of God. It means this. You have been given a new name. You've been given a new name, which speaks of, and don't miss this, a new identity. You've been given a new name. You've been given a new identity. And on, on September fifteenth, two 2017, when I got to ad- adopt Jacob Jeremiah Beale, the courtroom, we are told, was the most full it's ever been because everybody from our church came to celebrate with us that day. They'd been watching the process of little JJ from the day he was born. And finally came the day where we got to adopt and make it legal. And the judge, she slams the gavel down or whatever. I don't even know if there was actually a gavel. I just said that part. She signs the paper And guys, at that moment, she has the certificate. It's legal. Jacob Jeremiah Beal, that is his name. Did you know that that's not the name he was given when he was born? But guess what? That is his name now. Amen? In fact, I didn't even know this. They issued us a brand new birth certificate with our names on it. In other words, as far as anybody's concerned, the courts, the world, Jacob Jeremiah Beal is my son. Amen? 
And he's been given a new name and a new identity. Hey, back to that Roman, that Roman example. Did you know that the adoptee of the Roman, uh, you know, adoption process, that boy, when he came into the family, all of his old ties were completely washed away. He lost all rights to his old family. Listen, he even was wiped clear of all debts he might have had from his old life. He became a new identity, a new person. He took on the name of the person that adopted him. And guys, ladies and gentlemen, listen. As children of God, you've been given a new name. You've been given a new identity. Our old life is behind us. We are brand new in the Lord. Second, yeah, that's worthy of clapping for. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, In Christ, all, behold, all things have passed away and all things have become new. You can call, listen, this is your identity now. You're a child of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. I really felt like all week as I was just kicking this around that this particular point was going to be a word for somebody in one of the services, maybe multiple people, that you need to hear this. This is what defines you now, that you're a child of God. It's not something we boast in like, oh, man, I'm a child of God, like you had anything to do with it, right? But it's just something you need to grab onto in the sense of like, no, my past life is my past life. I don't have to identify as an ex-con or an ex-drug dealer or an abused person or this or that because that's not who I am anymore. My identity now is that I am a son. I am a daughter of God himself. I have been brought into the family and all things have become new. Amen? Grab onto that. Rejoice in that. That is absolutely, I believe, a word for somebody today. Well, number two. Maybe another implication, and this is a big one, that we have become sons and daughters of God. It means that we are free indeed. Now, this one takes a little thinking. You have to go back to Romans 8 for a second, and let me just read it to you again. It takes a little thinking. The context is not being under the law, being free, and being in the Spirit, and not under the law. And what Paul says in verse 15, he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, the Holy Spirit, of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Galatians chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 6, says something very similar, that we're not given the spirit of slavery. But what is this talking about? Again, think through with me. What's Paul talking about? Simply put, if I can just get right down to the point, what Paul is saying in essence is this. Before you and I came to faith in Jesus, we were under the law. And when you are under the law relationship with God, you are ultimately in slavery to fear. Why? Because under the law, there is this deep, deep sense and deep, deep understanding that you have violated the righteous standard of a holy God. 
You understand. You can take all the sacrifices. You can do all the good works in the world. But you know in your heart that there is a breach, that there's nothing you can do to undo the things you've done. Your conscience isn't clear. Did you know why? That's what it talks about in, in Hebrews where they, they kept bringing sacrifices, lambs, bulls, goats. But it says that none of those sacrifices could clear the conscience of a person because the, the blood of a bull can't adequately pay for the sins of a human. So there is always this deep-seated understanding that God is holy and righteous, but I am not, and, and I can't just freely approach him. I can't just freely talk to him. It's more like sneaking in the room instead of bursting through the door. Does that make sense? You know, we're in Exodus, so this is still very fresh in my mind, and I mentioned it last on Mother's Day when I taught. And that is, you know, the children of Israel, when they approached Mount Sinai and God came down upon the mountain, he made it very clear as he smoked that mountain, there was thunder and lightning and, and a booming voice. They knew, we can't just approach God. He's holy. We're not. But you guys, listen. We have been set free from the law. We have been redeemed. We have become children of God. That's why, and check this out. That's why, oh, I almost got ahead of myself. That was, that was, that was close. Back to the freedom thing. Once we're in Christ... We have been set free. We've been given the spirit of adoption. We're free. We don't have to be in slavery to fear. What would we be fearing? What did we fear? What would we be fearing if we weren't in Christ? Listen, there's a fear that I'm condemned. There's a fear that I'm always guilty in God's eyes. He's condemning me. There's a fear that, listen, I'm not really loved by God. There's a fear that I'm not fully accepted by God. There's a fear, Hebrews talks about a fear of dying because you don't know if you're going to be in the presence of God. Guys, there is a slavery to fear under the old system of the law. But when Jesus came into our lives and set us free and paid for our sin and we were declared children of God, we have not been given the spirit of fear. We've been given the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. That means we can know we are fully forgiven. We know, listen, we are fully loved with the love of a father. Steve and I were just talking, he always loves this verse. It's in Genesis 17, 23, where Jesus says in the great high priestly prayer that God loves us as much as he loves his son, Jesus. Think on that. You are loved with the perfect love of a father. There's no more fear of, am I loved? Of course you're loved. It's been demonstrated by Jesus. Am I loved? Am I accepted? You have full acceptance. You have full accessibility. Hebrews talks about how we can boldly come into the presence of God. Guys, because we have been deemed sons, no longer a fear of condemnation, no longer a fear of acceptance, no longer a fear of, am I loved or not, no longer a fear, do I have access to God? We have full love, full access, full forgiveness to the Lord. Amen? That's why he says, that's why it's so colorful when he says, we've been given the spirit of adoption by which we cry what? Abba, Father. Somebody along the line has told you this already, but I'm going to tell you again. The word Abba, roughly, roughly translated, means this. Daddy! We get to call the God of the universe Daddy without being blasphemous. Amen? One of my favorite things, excuse all the JJ references, but you know how cute he is? It's hard not to reference him. One of my favorite things right now is he's three, and it happened with my older son, Josh, and Caleb, and Libby. Um, but 
I walk through the door at the end of the day, and all I hear from across the room or in the, from the back or wherever he is, Daddy's home! And it doesn't matter what he's doing. It doesn't matter what's happening. It's a full sprint. And, and, and then he comes, and he bows on my feet, and he says, Father, I've brought you an offering, and I pray that I am accepted in your sight. No. He jumps on me. He grabs me. I wrestle him. I zerbered his belly button. I whiskers tickle him on his neck. He tinkles because he's laughing so hard. We crawl around. I become a horsey. He jumps on my back. We crawl around the room. That's Abba. Amen? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful or irreverent, but what I'm just saying what the Bible says, we don't come in, we don't have to come in with hesitation. Is it okay, Father, if I approach you? Do you love me today? That's the spirit of slavery to fear. Guys, we have the spirit of adoption. We, we get to cry, Abba, Father, rush into his presence and love on him and, and adore him. And we are fully loved, fully accepted by him. Amen? I love it. So guys, amen. We have a new identity, a new name. We're free. So free are we, we can run in and say, Abba, Father. Number three, and I'll do the next couple points pretty quickly here. Number three, something that every soul longs for. We have security in our Father. Every person longs for security. I, I call it the three P's. Peace, provision, and protection. And that's what we have in the Father. I'm going to reference you, and I'm going to do this fairly quickly, but it's worthy of our time. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and following says, and just listen if you didn't get there, just listen. Jesus speaking, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What will you eat? What will you drink? Don't be worrying about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And that's a rhetorical question that demands the answer, yes. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour or span to a span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothes? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't spin or toil, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. But you, listen, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Amen. How many of you guys have heard that passage before? It's like water to our souls. Listen, I'm summing it up greatly, but I would sum it up in this way. Because he is our father, we have security. We don't have to be anxious. We can have peace. We can have peace because your heavenly father knows what you're going through. He sees your life right now. He, we don't have to worry about provision. He's going to provide for the things we need. Amen? He's going to protect us. The idea is if he's looking after a bird, if he's looking after that, how much more valuable are you than a bird? Infinitely more valuable. Amen? Someone needs to hear this this morning. Stop fretting. Stop freaking. Rest in the security that your father is well aware of your situation and he's got you. Amen? We have security. 
If that wasn't enough, check this out. New identity. Freedom from fear, meaning fully loved, fully accepted, all those things we talked about. Security with peace and, and protection and provision. But it gets even better. Because we're children of God, we get discipline. Jason, you had me up to that point. <laughs> but hey, listen. When you become a child of God, you become a child of God all the way. Amen? Which means that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, He disciplines those who are His children. Amen? No amens. I get it. I understand that. You're like, amen, I guess. Listen, let me actually read it to you. It's a great verse. Hebrews chapter 6, or excuse me, chapter 12, verse 6. It says, For the Lord uh, disciplines the ones that He loves, and he ch chastens, excuse me, every son whom he receives. Verse 7 goes on to say, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It goes on to, to, to make the point. It's simple, but it's important. The fact that God disciplines us is proving that we're his children. Amen? You don't discipline other people's children. I mean, I know you want to at Walmart sometimes, but we don't. You can't spank somebody else's child. You can't put somebody else's child in timeout unless I'm babysitting them. Heck, yes, I will. Maybe not spank them, but you know. The point is, is that by virtue of the fact that God allows hard circumstances or brings correction into our life, says, send somebody our way with a word of prophecy or something that says, hey, this is wrong in your life or you need to tighten this up or the sermon's going out and the Spirit's convicting your heart about a sin in your life. You know why that happens? Because God loves you. Because you're one of his kids. If you weren't one of his kids, he wouldn't discipline you. But by virtue of the fact that we are his, he's treating us as his. Otherwise, as it says in Hebrews, we would be illegitimate children. And we're not illegitimate children. We're sons. We're daughters. Therefore, God is going to discipline us. Now, there's a little phrase in Hebrews that I don't want to pass up. Why is God disciplining? Not just to prove that he loves us, but listen. It goes on to say it's for our good that we might share in his holiness. It's not purely punitive. It's not just to punish. It's because God is growing you and I up. He is committed to developing us into men and women after his own image. Amen? He's doing it because he wants to grow us. One last little thing on this. My wife, I don't know where she got this. Um, I, don't know, I don't think she coined it. She, she uses it when she's talking to young moms all the time. It's called the 10-year rule. The ten, anybody heard of the 10-year rule? So here's the 10-year rule. When, you're when you have little toddlers and you're questioning whether the behavior they're doing, and you've got to give them a little space, but, but, you know, they stomp their feet when you tell them to do something, and, they, and, and, you know, you let it slide. Listen, whatever the action they're doing, just add 10 years to their life and imagine how it looks then. So now they're 15. Go clean your room. The point is, nip it in the bud. Because if you don't, it's going to be 10, 20 30 years down the line, and you got a 40-year-old man who doesn't get his way, and he stomps his feet like a little spoiled brat. God doesn't want to raise spoiled brats. Amen? 
He's disciplining us. He's, he's taking things out of our character that don't, because he wants, because listen, guys, it's not about just right now. This is all about eternity, forever and ever and ever, and he's getting us ready to be with him forever, and he's changing us into the very image of Christ. So don't pull back from the disciplinary hand of God. Embrace it. Amen? It's for our good, and it's for his glory. Lastly, uh, and then I'll be done with the introduction. Last point we not only have a new identity, we're not only set free, not only do we have security, not only do we get to experience discipline, and this one is so good. Listen, and it's in our text. Because we're children of God, we have the hope of an inheritance. It's not a small point. Listen, Romans 8 goes on to say, verse 17, if you're children, the idea is since you're his children, then your heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Jot down or turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, I'm sorry, not sorry for reading a long chunk here, but we have to hear this. This is 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and following. Peter says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you're having to go through various trials. Peter was basically just blowing up in praise and saying, and guys, listen, we have an inheritance waiting for us being guarded by the Father. It doesn't perish. No one can steal it. It's ours and it's guaranteed. Amen? Here's something we have, church, as children of God, that the world out there desperately wants. We have hope. We have hope. We, listen, I know for me, I hear this so, I've heard it so many times since a little kid that it's lost its punch. I'm going to heaven. I asked Jesus Christ in my life when I was 10 years old, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Jesus forever and ever and ever. When you die, and it's not an if, it's when. When you die, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're going to heaven. Amen? We're going to heaven. And listen, heaven, the inheritance we have Honestly, I don't think it's the streets of gold that we're going to be all stoked about. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and be like, Whoa, streets of gold, it was true. This is crazy. Chip away some, put it in your pocket or something. That'd be dumb. I don't even think it's the crowns. And, and I, it's a kind of a mystery. I don't fully understand all the reward system of heaven, though there is one. God's going to give us rewards for faithfully serving him, which we will immediately take off and throw at his feet and give him the glory. But nonetheless, the honor will be dis put upon us for serving him. But I don't think that's what's the inheritance. Ultimately, you know what I think the inheritance is that we, we can't wait to grab a hold of? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not something from him. It's him. 
We're going to be in his presence. We're going to worship our guts out. We're going to fall at his face. We're going to be in, I read this morning my personal devotions. In his presence is the fullness of joy. What we have waiting for us is so far beyond description that there's hardly anything written in the Bible about it because nothing, nothing would do it justice. We get to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? So in closing, we're children of God, new name, free, security, discipline, hope, because God is our Father. Now, let me just officially bring it to an end with three questions. Number one, are you a child of God? See, that's the big question for some. For most of us, we rejoice that we are children of God. But let me ask you this. Do you know that you're a child of God? See, the verse I read it earlier in Romans 8, 16, it says that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Do you have that witness in you today? Can you say without a moment's hesitation, if I were to ask you after service, are you a child of God? Well, you know, we're all part of the universal brotherhood of man. No, 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 no. Do you have a relationship with the God of the universe as your daddy? And if you can't answer that, I've got great news. You can become his child today. And this will be the greatest Father's Day for you and for him. Come into his family today. And we do that just as it said in John 1, by receiving him and believing in his name. You put your faith, all of your trust in Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. You cry out to him, you repent, you turn to him, and he comes into your life in a moment and you are declared his child. Amen? So if you haven't done that, do that today. Secondly, and this is for all of us, this quick point, all of us who are the children of God. We say, yeah, I'm born again. I'm saved. I'm a child of God. He's my daddy. He's my Abba. Let me ask you this. Are you living like a child of God? Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean it in some like spiritual macho kind of way like strutting. I'm a child of God. No, 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 no. But do you by faith receive that today? I had to pull over in my truck yesterday. I was driving and this thought hit me and I, had, I literally had to pull over so I could scribble it down because it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The thought was this. I wonder if it breaks our father's heart that so many of his children are keeping him at arm's length where he has said so clearly, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're loved. Stop defining yourself by what you did in your past and what happened to you and all of those things because you're my child now. And, and it's like we just refuse to believe it, refuse to, we, we somehow want to say, no, I'll earn your respect, God, I'll earn my, and he just says, will you stop it? Stop keeping me at arm's length. Let me be your daddy today. Amen? How many of us, these things are true, but they're not true for us because we don't grab a hold of them by faith. Would you grab a hold of these by faith today? Just scandalously, in a crazy way, say, Lord, okay, it doesn't feel like I'm all fully loved or feel like I'm accepted. Chuck your feelings, grab a hold of the word of God and say, but your word says I am, so I'm just coming into your presence today. You are my father. Amen? And then lastly, what was my last point? Lastly, Sometimes people say, I would love to relate to God as my father. 
But you need to understand something. My father left me, hurt me, abandoned me. And I don't make light of any of that. Let me just cut to the chase. Don't believe the lie that just because you didn't have a close relationship with your earthly father that you can't have a close relationship with your heavenly father. Because Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So you want to have that close relationship? Here's what you do. Know Jesus. Just get to know Jesus because as you see Jesus, you are seeing the Father. Amen? All right, kids, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We praise you. We love you. And we say today, Lord, you are our Father. And we love all these things we've talked about. But Holy Spirit, I pray you would take these truths and make them real in our lives today. Lord, we want to give you a great Father's Day. We want to honor you by walking in the truth of what you say is true about us. We praise you and we thank you. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, won't you receive him today? Won't you bow your heart and say, Father, I want to know you as my Father. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a child of God today. And he will. In Jesus' name, amen.